Well, thank you. Please be seated. Thank you, everybody, for being here this morning. <clears throat> and uh, thanks for being at Kirby Woods on Christmas Eve morning. That's right. Uh, today's a little bit of a special service in that we have our kids in with us today. So I will try to trim back my normal sermon length a bit. And uh, we're going to have a couple of songs at the end. We will get the candles out. Uh, we are in a brief Christmas series that ends today. Um, if you are a guest, don't worry. You don't, it's not like a serial thing that you've missed it so you, you can't understand. Uh, it, we are in a series called The Arrival of the King. And it's been focused on that first arrival of Christ, all the unique ways that he came to save us. And we've discussed so far an auspicious arrival in the fullness of time. We've discussed a supernatural arrival in the virgin birth and prophetic fulfillment. And today we're going to discuss a humble arrival, which would defy the traditional fanfare according to a new king. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, I'm going to be in Philippians 2 for my primary text today. Philippians 2. Um, and that passage really uh, is the perfect example of how Christ humbled himself. Uh, even though that text isn't a Christmas passage, it is a perfect text to lead us to think about uh, the first Christmas. I would say that as we think about our theme today of humility, I would say that being humble, though it's less and less common in our culture today, is still at least an aspiration. People still at least want to pretend to appear humble. Can we agree upon that? Um, so a couple of examples of, of how that might be. So presidential debates, insert collective groan, sorry, um, are a proof that candidates still try to do this. Uh, they all basically try to convince you that they come from humble beginnings. Uh, even, even if they've amassed an incredible amount of wealth, they still want you to know that they had to work for everything they have. Um, and the assumption is that if the voter believes that you came from a log cabin in a small town to working class parents, that that's going to make you look better in the voter's eyes. Um, and, and my guess is if we did a focus group on the phrase, I come from humble beginnings, that that would test well in a focus group. Do you think it would? That that would, I, I think it would. If I was in a marketing focus group, I think that phrase would test well. We often watch the show Undercover Boss. Anybody ever watched that show before? Okay, at least seen it. Okay. Uh, it ran from 2010 to 2022. Um, and if you haven't seen the show, all you need to know is every episode, a CEO of a large company goes undercover and takes an entry-level position at the company he runs. So, for example, think of the CEO of Starbucks taking a job as a barista, and then you follow him around and uh, watch him fumble through trying to make a grande skinny decaf vanilla latte with an extra shot, and you have a chuckle, and uh, there's a lesson learned, and then there's usually some financial giveaway to one lucky employee that he met along the way. Why do people love that show? Why has that show been on for 12 years? I would argue that deep down in us, there is a recognition that someone who is exalted and then willingly humbles themselves resonates in our hearts. Perhaps there's a part of our hearts that is just naturally bent toward longing for the ultimate story of the ultimate undercover boss who left the exalted throne of heaven and walked among us, giving us a gift beyond what we deserved. Jesus comes from humble beginnings. 
as we will discuss today in the Christmas story. And that's really the first point that I want to make to you today as we get into our outline. If you're taking notes, that's going to be on your bulletin handout on the back. If you'd like to take notes, I want to show you three humbling things that Christ embraced for us. Number one, a humble existence, a humble existence. At the conclusion of today's service, we're going to read the Christmas story uh, as we pass our candles out from Luke chapter 2. And you know how that story doesn't go? It doesn't go. In those days, there was a great celebration in the royal palace, for the queen had given birth and called him Jesus. She wrapped the baby in Egyptian silk and laid him in a handcrafted artisan cradle. They were surrounded by servants who waited on their every need. Is that how it happened? No, that's not how it happened. Uh, That may be how traditional kings came into the world, but not the king of kings. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a small town, in a spare room, in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn where they sought to stay. He was wrapped in strips of cloth. The first group of people to rejoice at his birth outside of Mary and Joseph were who? Shepherds. Uh, Not the big hoopla celebration that typically accompanied the birth of a king. This was a humble arrival. So I'm gonna look at our primary passage, Philippians 2, three through eight, authored by the apostle Paul. And again, in this context, he's actually giving Christ as the example of unity in the church. He's telling the church how to have unity. And he says, if everybody just took on the mindset of Christ, you'd be okay. But in that example, he actually gives a really good incarnation story. So let's look at that, Philippians 2, three. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And it's almost as if he pauses here, takes a breath and says, now what's an example that I could give them of someone who did that? Oh yeah, verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I want to focus on verse 6, that though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count that equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but rather emptied himself. Uh, Just so you know, there are volumes of theological textbooks on that very phrase. So I'm not going to get into all the depths of what that means, but here is what you need to know. Jesus, who was God and was equal with God, did not grasp at that equality with God as an escape mechanism for the difficult task ahead. That's what that means. So let's talk about that word grasp. It's a great word coming from the Greek, which means to seize up, to quickly snatch something away. Paul is saying Jesus did not aggressively snatch, seize, or hold on to his exalted position with God to prevent him from serving in a humble way. He did not say, do you know who I am? He did not say he was above the task presented to him. But rather, when God the Father sent Jesus on a mission into the world, into the sinful world, in the form of man, we are told Jesus emptied himself instead. 
He made himself lower. He, he set aside exalted divine privilege that, that was his as the true son of God and accepted the role of son of man. And I believe that to truly, truly understand. See, I can tell you that and we can have a good time and, and you'll say amen. But to truly understand how big a deal that is, you have to ask the question, what was Jesus doing before he was born in Bethlehem? Think about that. Most folks don't give a whole lot of thought to the fact that Jesus was not created when he was born in Bethlehem. So, so what was he doing? Well, our answer can't be he wasn't around or that he, he didn't exist because John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word. In John 8, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And, and, and in Philippians 2, which we just read is true, it says Jesus took on the form of a, ser- of a servant being born in the likeness of men. So we know Jesus existed before he was born in Bethlehem. John 17, 5 lets you peek in on a little prayer that Jesus had with God. And it tells us something important. Jesus prayed this. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is telling us where he was before he was born. If Jesus prayed, Father, restore me back to the fellowship that we had before creation, what does that mean? Jesus was with God before he entered the womb of Mary in Bethlehem. That means in order for Christmas to happen, Jesus left the blessed presence of God, the Father. He left the perpetual singing of holy, holy, holy in the throne room of heaven without a trace of sin, set aside the perks of royalty and entered the womb of woman. He was born and wrapped in strips of cloth, laid in an animal's feeding trough in the overflow area of their lodging because there wasn't enough room. The adoring voice of 10,000 angels were replaced by Mary, Joseph, and some shepherds straight from their fields. I know that when we watch Undercover Boss, it's a big deal if the CEO of Yankee Candle or 7-Eleven or the Dollar General Store drops in and puts on an apron and goes to work, and it's supposed to be like, wow. Look at this wealthy, exalted man acting like a normal person. It's compelling. But how much more compelling is the God of the universe entering Mary's womb in Bethlehem and becoming an actual man and taking a job as a carpenter? Jesus didn't grasp at equality with God as a pretense for rejecting the mission to save the world. He made himself low. He accepted the humble task to serve you. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't grasp at his equality with God, but he embraced a humble existence. That's number one. The second thing Christ embraced, number two, is a human experience. Christ embraced a human experience. If you look back at Philippians 2.7, it says that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. So the Bible is clear on two things. Yes, Jesus is God, and yes, Jesus is man. 
And yes, that should shock you. It's supposed to stop you in your tracks. You see, when we advocate for the humanity of Christ, you have to root it in the fact that he was a real person. Jesus was a real historical person. You know this isn't a story, right? This isn't just a a myth that we have for cultural fun and good times. It's important that you know we believe this really happened. Jesus isn't a mythical demigod like Thor or Hercules. I mean, we read those, we hear those stories, we watch those movies all the time, but we know those aren't real. When we talk about Jesus, we're, we're being for real, right? We really believe he was a historical person, just like George Washington or Walt Disney, except without the fullness of God. Jesus was without sin. He was the fullness of God. You know, I've always thought if Christianity was fake and it was made up by zealous disciples of Jesus, as some suggest, they picked a really strange origin story, didn't they? Born in obscurity, through the womb like everyone else, not, not delivered, not hand-delivered by God's hand to the, to the stall, no. Bouncing from Bethlehem to Egypt to Nazareth. I mean, wouldn't a king come from Jerusalem? Why a carpenter? Why not, why not born to the great rabbi in town? Aside from one story in, in Luke about Jesus being left at the temple at age 12, we don't hear anything after the birth story until he's baptized. No, no, uh, no little montage where Spider-Man so slowly discovers his powers and realizes who he is. We don't have anything like that from Jesus in the Gospels. His disciples frequently missed the point of his teachings. His own brothers and sisters did not believe in him until after the resurrection. That's how normal his life appeared on the outside. Why write a story like that if you're faking it? It's clearly because it's not fake. It all happened. Aside from the high frequency of miracles in Jesus' last three years of his life, Jesus was mostly a normal man who, who was, lived in a small town for most of his life. He laughed like us. He cried like us. He, he was a man. He felt pain just without a human father conceived by the Holy Spirit without a sin nature. Hebrews 4.15, I love this verse around Christmas time because this is what's afforded to us at Christmas time. Hebrews 4.15 says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We often rightly celebrate the deity of Christ and him being called God. We should. But the uniqueness of Christmas is that God became man. Christmas is about the humanity of Christ. Your God knows what it's like to experience pain, to cry, to go hungry. God knows what it's like to bleed. He knows what it's like to walk in the valley of the shadow of death. He's been betrayed and backstabbed. He's had to lead people when it was difficult, when the crowd was at 5,000, and then the next day it went down to 12. He looked the devil in the face and took his best temptation and walked away standing. John 1.14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that is what's so shocking about Christmas is that God added a human nature to himself. He identified with us. He walked among us, not so that he could know us better, but that we could know him better. It was hard. It was beneath him, quite frankly, but he did it to serve us. Christ did not seize equality as a pretense to avoid us, but rather embraced humility and walked among us.
That's number two. He embraced a human experience. Number three, Christ embraced a humiliating end. A humiliating end. You know, it's, it's one thing for Christ to have to endure a little hu- humility in his birth. If maybe just the birth was the humble part. But the whole point of why Jesus was born humbly was so that he could die humbly. Take a look with me to Philippians 2.8. It says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What began in a cradle ended on a cross. And I want to make an important point that you need to hear. The humility that Christ portrayed is not the end in itself. It is not a standalone virtue to read the birth story of Christ and say, therefore, let us all be humble this Christmas. Go home and be blessed. It's a good thing to be humble, but that's not the moral of the story. The truth of the matter is that Jesus' humility in his birth narrative, in his lifestyle, in his attitude towards others is the vehicle that gets us to the end of the story, which is the humiliation of the cross. A life of humility and servitude and suffering prepared Jesus for the final stage, which was the crucifixion. It was in many ways a fitting conclusion to the rejection that he faced throughout his life. It's how John 1.10 says that he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Humility prepared Jesus for his life as the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So as we look at Jesus, we must affirm he had a humble beginning and a humble middle and more than a humble end. It was a humiliating end. Aren't you glad Jesus was humble and willing to be subjected to so much for us? Think of the danger to our salvation if Jesus Christ was not humble. Think about that. If at some moment in the process of being unfairly tried or or beaten or being scourged and whipped and spit upon and, and carrying his cross, he said, you know what? I don't need this. This is below me. Let them save themselves. The whole thing would have fallen apart if that happened. If you look back at Philippians 2.8, it says something interesting, that Jesus humbled himself. You know, there's a big difference in being humbled and humbling yourself. Those are very different things. If you are humbled, usually the story begins with you thinking that you're hot stuff, and then you get cut down to size and embarrassed. You ever watch, like, boxing or or UFC or something, and they bring the, the two fighters nose to nose. I hate that moment where they stand in front of each other and they, and they kind of face each other. And it's like, why do you do this? You're inviting fights, but I guess that's the point. Ratings, okay. Um, you put two hopped up people nose to nose and be like, just stare at each other. Don't touch each other. Just stare and make faces. It's just the weirdest thing. Anyway, when they do that, and, and usually one of them is way more willing to talk trash in that moment. And, and it's always a, a moment where you, you love it when the one who talks the most trash is the one that gets beat within, you know, the first knockout within the first minute. Um, that's called being humbled, right? That's what being humbled is. That is not what happened to Jesus. Philippians 2.8 says, Jesus was not humbled. Rather, he humbled 
himself. He did what Paul described in verse 3, in humility count others more significant than yourself. Think about what Jesus did for you. He counted you more significant than himself. Suffering for you. He humbled himself to death. You know, I've not looked at many death certificates in my life, but I would imagine never in the history of mankind has cause of death read, humbled to death. But that is exactly what happened. He consistently puts your needs above his own. Your need for salvation is above his need for comfort. And it took him to the cross. Christmas makes very little sense without the cross when you think about it. God becoming a baby is amazing. But for what purpose? Why? Some wise men traveled and gave gifts? Okay. Some shepherds and angels sang in a field? Okay. Prophecies were fulfilled? Okay, I'm interested now. A virgin conceived a child? Amazing, I grant that. And sadly, that's where many Christians leave their understanding of Christmas. Good information, legitimately impressed, but I hope you see that that's the beginning of the story that would bring about your very salvation. It's the arrival of the king. And so church, I hope that you see a savior this Christmas who embraced a humble experience, a human experience, and a humiliating end for you. I hope that you can appreciate the sacrifice made by Jesus to endure suffering and scorn for us. The reality is, if Jesus would not have adopted this humble posture and lowered himself and taken on flesh and dwelled among us on the first Christmas in an obscure manger stall with minimal fanfare, not only would we lose Christmas, but we would have no Savior and still be in our sin. But the good news of Christmas is the good news of the gospel that Christ did come. Our king has come, and our king will come again. Philippians 2.9, let's not forget the end. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where this is all headed. Praise God for Christmas and the fact that our humble king arrived. He was humble in birth. He was humble in life. He was humble in death. But church, listen, he will be triumphant in return and his full royalty will be on display. So how about this Christmas if you've never bowed the knee to Jesus with all your heart and said, Christ is Lord, forgive me, make me clean, take me in. If you've never said that, how about you receive the greatest Christmas gift of all today and receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Let's pray together.